Good morning. Thank you, Ty and Keely and Emily. I asked for that song. I'm sorry. I called in on the hit list, you know, on the request, all time request list. Uh, okay, uh, here we are. I want to continue with everybody's uh, happy Father's Day to all that are fathers out there today. It, uh, uh, my dad just turned 90 a couple of months ago, and uh, I've always known that as long as my dad was alive, if he was drawing a breath, I had a place. I had a roof over my head, and I had something to eat, no matter how down and out or what may happen, uh, what the circumstances were. Uh, I knew Dad was there, and so uh, it's a it's a special thing. And I know all of us don't have all the same kind of relationships with our fathers. Uh, because of the world that we live in sometimes, but uh, I was awful glad and glad to have my dad and glad to still have my dad at my age. That's unusual. <laughs> I'm old. So uh, if you are a visitor here, I'm not Pastor Adam Curious. I am one of the elders. My name is Bruce Sears, and uh, they kind of let me hang around. You know, last week we heard in the kind of the preaching rotation of the folks that come that are in the pulpit, uh, Lane is probably the youngest of the bunch, and I'm probably the oldest of the bunch. So we'll see contrasting uh, styles probably. Uh, okay, we have been in uh, the book of Exodus for quite some time now. It's a long book, 40 chapters. And we're continuing on. And if you kind of divide Exodus up into, you can do it in kind of like three parts, I guess. You have, uh, you have the Exodus itself, them leaving Egypt. You have the giving of the law. Uh, and you have the uh, establishment of the tabernacle. And so that's where we are. We've come to that point where the uh, where God is giving Moses uh, in great detail uh, how he wants the tabernacle uh, built. And it, this is like 15 chapters. Uh, the last 15 chapters, we're in 25. And my, my, actually, I was assigned uh, 25 through 30. But that's like impossible. So we're just going to hit the best parts or some of the best parts, not even all the best parts, but we're going to do the best we can uh, in five chapters of this part of Exodus. And uh, so we want to, uh, you know, the, the only difference in there is in 32, 33, 34, you'll see some, there are some different. Uh, issues addressed, but everything else is all to do with God 
laying out explicitly how he wanted everything built in the in this time. He he you know, right down to how wide, how long, how tall, how thick. If he wanted a rim around it, if he wanted an edge, if he wanted it hammered out, or whether he wanted poured uh, the metal, and and so it was. Uh, it's it's you have to wonder. I do. Had to, when I when I look at this, I go, why would he go into such uh, detail on this uh, if it weren't extremely important to him? Uh, you know, it's not like God. You know, God doesn't uh, fluff things up. He doesn't just. You know, I uh, I thought about. Uh, I thought about, you know, and back in high school, the, some of the first term papers that I wrote, you know, you had, they had to be so many words. You know, they had to be a thousand words or 500 or whatever it was. It, all, it seemed like an insurmountable amount at that time. But, uh, you know, but, but so to do that, I mean, you just used all this fluff in there, you know. You put in all these adjectives that didn't really need to be there. You know, it was double and triple adjectives on stuff like that to get that word count up. Well, God does not worry about getting his word count out. If he's got it in here, he has it in here for a very specific reason, and it's for us. It's to teach us and to, uh, to grow us. But, uh, and sometimes we understand it all and sometimes we don't, and that, but that's okay because he tells us in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, he tells us that our ways are not his ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And just as heaven is above the earth, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways above our ways. And so we don't, uh, we don't necessarily have to get it all. Uh, what we do have to do is walk in what we do have. And that's what, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And so today we're going to look for some revelation uh, in, part, in, this part of, uh, in this part of Exodus. So the, I just do want to start with uh, reading Exodus 25. And we're going to read verse 1 through 9, just kind of a start, because that's really all you can do. We can't read all five chapters. Uh, so Exodus 25, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, <clears throat> spice for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod, for the breastplate, for the breastplate piece, and let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So, let's pray over this real quick. Father, we just thank you for your word. 
We thank you, Lord, that it is alive, Lord, that it is active, Lord, that it is powerful, Lord, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it just, and I pray today that it would pierce our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would, that the Holy Spirit as our teacher would open this scripture to us. Lord, open our eyes, Lord, to the marvelous things that you have shown us in your word, and we just pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to, is actually, as I'm prone to do, is wander off, and right off the bat, what really is not central to what I'm going to talk about today, but I thought certainly worth mentioning, is, uh, you know, Adam did a great job, as he always does, about, with giving, and, you know, and everybody's so touchy about uh, money and finances and church and et cetera. But it just kind of caught my eye uh, there in verse in verse two, where it says, uh, "Speak to the people <clears throat> that they may take from me a contribution." Who is the contribution for? Who's who's speaking? The Lord. For every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a con. Contribution for me. So I hope everyone who is following their heart, that God that God is moving and, and and drawing and showing you that you understand that when you give online or when you write that check or when you put it in the basket or whatever, it is not River Valley Community Church that you're giving it to. It's not the pastor, it's not the elders or the trustees, it is God. We just happen to be just like uh, just like Moses is here. Uh, we just happen to be the one that's handling it, and we will be held accountable for how we handle it. And so uh, I just, I just uh, it was just kind of one of those things, I just couldn't let that go by. So now we'll kind of move on to more of what we're going to talk about today. And that is, what is the, in this passage uh, there in verse nine, uh, 8, what is the stated purpose of the sanctuary, of the tabernacle that we're building? That I may dwell in your midst. And so this is a, this is a promise that has gone back all the way to Abraham really, truly, all the way back to Adam. But the, the stated purpose is that he dwells among us. And uh, all through the... And this is a big deal that we have now a central place that's the, that is a focal point for where God, where you worship God. And, and uh, because always before, if you go back to the patriarch, it's uh, they built altars, you know, uh, Abraham built an altar, Isaac built an altar, Jacob built an altar. When, when God showed himself in some particular way, uh, they would build an altar there to remember. You know, Jacob, where he had his vision of the angels coming up and down and where he wrestled with God, you know, the next morning he got up and said, you know, surely God was in this place, and I knew it not. And he took the, he took the rock, the stone that he uh, had laid his 
used for a pillow that night and anointed it, and he called that place Bethel, which is house of God. And so uh, all this time, Jesus, or God, has been dealing with these with the patriarchs in this way. And in Genesis uh, 28, and starting in, uh, in, or just verse 15, this promise, uh, this is just one of the promises that he makes to, uh, to Jacob, but this is, this is after he has seen, had this vision. He says, Behold, I'm with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and you will... <clears throat> And will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. So this is a promise fulfilled uh, when we see God moving in, as you will, if you will, with the children of Israel. Because he has promised in one way or another, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all through the through that he would never leave them, nor would he ever forsake them. And, he, and that continues on with Moses, and we know with Joshua, uh, when he's, when he's uh, fixing to enter the land, that uh, you know, the Lord tells you that I will be with you in everything that you do. And so this is a promise that we can count on that extends even to us today. You know, if you look in the New Testament, in John 1, 1, I hope you're familiar, you know, if you're familiar with, with, uh, with the book of John, you know, it starts out, the Word was God, and, and the Word was with God, and that continues down in the prologue, and then uh, you get down to John uh, chapter, uh, verse 14, and it, uh, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory as for the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So today we have Jesus who came to this world, and his name was called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And only now we have a better covenant because now he doesn't dwell in a tent made with hands, but he dwells in our heart. And, and so this, uh, there's a couple of uh, scriptures that, that I think we should all know in 1 Corinthians uh, 6 and 19. Uh, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom, you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, uh, but you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So now, instead of God dwelling in a tent, God's dwelling in our heart. He's dwelling in our bodies. And so in Romans uh, eight and, uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 9, it says, <laughs> it says, anyway, basically that uh, if you walk in the light, if you walk in the spirit, that Jesus is walking with you and that he is dwelling with you. So we see that word come up again, uh, that word dwell, that he has promised us that he will dwell with us. And so thus the new and better covenant that we have that uh, 
that God is actually dwelling in our hearts and in our lives and moving in that place. So God, the word in the dwell there in, in, in John 1 and 14 is kind of loosely translated. Uh, it really, it means he pitched his tent with us or he tabernacled with us, as it were. So, uh, so now we have Jesus on the scene and now we have the Holy Spirit fulfilling the promise and living inside of us. And now we can read that. So you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But that word dwells shows up again in what in our lives. So the next thing I want to look at is a, uh, we're going to, the, the tabernacle is quite an undertaking, and we're going to only do the best we can with, what we, with the time that we have. So the first thing I want to do is let's put up a slide of the camp where it showed how they, uh, so shows how they camped. And the way they did that, when they were on the move, when the, when the clouds uh, or the fire moved, they moved. And then when they got to that place and they encamped there, the tabernacle would be in the dead center of the symmetrical hub around which all the tribes, you would have all the tribes of, in pies like going out from the thing. The, the Levites surrounded the ark, but the ark was in the very center of the... Uh, of the camp. And when I took a look at that, there was a diagram, but maybe not. Uh, when, when I took one look at this, and it just, you know, it showed, it showed the tabernacle right there with all the tribes going around it, I was reminded of a little course that I took in about 1985, what would have been the, uh, what would have been the beginners. Uh, there we are. Okay, I just didn't have it back there. Uh, but, but as you can see, how the tabernacle is, is, is centered with all the tribes around it. And so this course, a little, it, was a, it was a new members course that I had to take for a church that we joined in mid-80s. And uh, some of you weren't alive then, I understand that. <laughs> uh, but they had a, uh, there was this little diagram. And, and when I saw that, and I just, and I started thinking about this, it, it brought this to mind, something, and I went to digging, and I actually found, I found the workbook. It's, it was like, what was white when I got it, it was about the color of that, it was yellow from, from 30, over 30 years that it had been tucked away in there. But the first section of this thing was titled The Lordship of Christ. And they put this little picture up there of a whole heart and a divided heart where you, uh, there we go. In a divided heart, we have God is just a little piece 
of all the things that are going on in our life. It's, it's uh, you know, we have work and we have career and we have family and we have leisure and we have holly, ho- hobbies and, and all the things that are going on and, and God's just a slice and, and the, you know, our slice comes and goes with the size of it versus a whole heart which everything that you do revolves around God. God knows you have to make money. God knows you have to have a, make a living. He knows that you have to put a roof over your children's head. He understands and he knows all that. Uh, but if you will honor him in this, uh, he will bless you. And the, at the end of this little section that uh, in, this, in this workbook, uh, there was something along these lines. You will never grow as a Christian until you have settled the lordship of Christ in your life. Until you have come to that point where you're not holding anything back, but you turn over every area and every part of your life, then you will begin to grow as a Christian. Otherwise, uh, you're going to stay at a very elementary level, to say the least. So I want to encourage you today to put God at the center of your life, to, to come to that place where there's nothing held back. You know, if you, went, if you went down to the car dealership and bought a car and they pulled it around from dealer prep and uh, it, you know, it had three wheels and the hood was missing and the fender wasn't there or whatever, uh, you would stop. I, I paid for the whole, I paid for a car, a whole car. And Jesus on the cross paid for all of us. Not just part, not our little, you know, he, want, he wants every part. He wants all of it to revolve around him. And I just want to encourage you to do that today. If you have not done that, uh, settle, settle in your heart that Jesus is Lord of every part of your life. Okay, let's move along. Let's look at a slide. How many of you can say, unqualifiably that uh, I know all the parts all the parts and pieces of the tabernacle inside and out where they are what they do everybody got to agree see this is what happened I don't know in Exodus you get to this point in Exodus and everybody's been pretty interested up to this because you know I mean the plagues and going out of Egypt and and Part in the Red Sea and all that's pretty cool. I mean, that's not pretty cool. That's real cool stuff. And then even even the giving the law, you know, the the tablets with the Ten Commandments on it, you know. But you get to this point right here, and all of a sudden it's like two cubits by cubit and a half, you know. And and it goes on and on, and you go, and it people get bogged down, and they just their eyes glaze over, and they just they skim. But there's really quite a lot here to uh, for us to consider anyway. So let's look at that slide, I hope, is behind me. There we go. All right. Who knows what the outside dimensions are? 
How long, how wide of the whole outer court? I'll take an answer if anybody's got it. Okay. Nobody? 150 by 75. 150 long by 75. The gate, the door, faced east. As you come in the door, in the gate, in the opening, first thing that you came to was the brazen altar of burnt offerings. These numbers, these are in cubits. Uh, so the five by five by three is roughly seven and a half by seven and a half is the size of this thing. And it's made out of bronze. The next thing you come to is the brazen laver. And then you move into what is the tent of meetings. Interest in the east. Walk in the door, and the first thing you see on your left will be a candlestick, the golden candle stand, candlestick holder, uh, uh, menorah maybe. And uh, on the left and on the right side, there'll be a table of showbread. You can, as you and now uh, one one uh, all the stuff on the outside is either bronze or brass, but as you move into the, the uh, Holy of Holy, or into the Holy Place, into the Tent of Meetings, uh, precious metal increases, everything is gold, as opposed to bronze on the outside, so the more precious the metal, as you get increasingly closer to the Holy of Holies. The next thing is the golden altar of incense, the veil, and the Ark and the Covenant. Uh, in the tent, the overall tent of meeting, it is, 40, it is 45 by 15. The, the, mo the holy place, which is the front, is 30 by 15, and the Holy of Holies is 15 by 15. And it contains the Ark of the Covenant, which I'm sure if you've seen... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, you, uh, you know, it's got the the cherubim, you know, with their wings reaching out, touching right over the the mercy seat, and then inside of the ark, do I have a brave soul that'll tell me what's inside the ark? Absolutely, very good. Yes, inside inside the uh, inside the ark, the tablets which can, on which are written the Ten Commandments, the uh, the Aaron's rod that budded, and a jar of manna. So that's the basic layout. And so maybe you can leave here today and say, "Well, I know more about the ark than I did just a little while ago." You know. So, uh, but. Uh, so let's look at the reasons. Let's, let's just look at some types. We're, gonna, we're going to uh, quickly just cover a few. No way to cover them all. And so we're going we're gonna to hit some good ones. Uh, and types, I don't know. You know you, I know that at one point in time when people would say, when they would talk about types and shadows, and I would go, yeah, yeah I know, type and shadows. Uh, uh, but uh, just in case anybody's not sure about that, uh, 
Uh, in the fewest possible words, a type is a prophetic symbol. Uh, it can be a person, it can be an event, it can be an object, but it's, it's something, it's a powerful move of God in the Old Testament or a, a, a thing, as in this case, the tabernacle, that's that prefiguring, that forecasting uh, Christ and the redemptive work of Christ in the New Testament. So you have one, I read one definition, I thought a guy did really good. He said, well, it's, it's, the, you know, it's the shadow on the page of the Old Testament showing up in the New Testament in flesh or in spirit, as the case may be. So anyway, so these are, we're going to look at some types of, uh, of things in the, in the tabernacle because Jesus is our tabernacle, and I think we can show that pretty quickly, pretty easily. Uh, first thing is uh, the entrance. If you look at the entrance, the entrance is at the east, and it is the only entrance. There's no other way in. Well, that should be pretty easy for us. Uh, in John 10, 9, John 10, 9, there, uh, Jesus says, I am the door. You can't enter and you can't leave except by me. And there's a period, you know, if anyone enters me, enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus said, I am the door. And so we look at the tabernacle has one door. There is one way into God, and that's by Jesus Christ alone and him only alone. In uh, John 14 and 6, very familiar, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and also in Acts uh, 4 and 12, uh, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. So sometimes uh, I never wonder if people really understand why we hammer on this like we do. And it's because it's one of the devil's biggest tricks. He wants you to believe that there's some other way, any other way. If he can convince you that if you can be good enough, uh, that you can attend church, or that you can tithe, or that you can do whatever it is that you might do, but that, that uh, any way but Jesus. And God has plainly told us here that Jesus is the only way. Okay, the second thing, uh, the altar of sacrifice. As you come in the gate, then the next thing you see, the next thing you come to is the altar of sacrifice. And the cross is the altar of sacrifice for Jesus. Jesus as high priest and sacrifice at the same time gave himself up for us, sacrificed himself for us. Uh, interesting, I didn't know what scriptures they were going to use, and they didn't know what scriptures I was going to use. Uh, so we're going to read some scriptures, actually, that we've already read today, which, that's great, it ties right in. Uh, 
But Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Amen. Uh, and Brian already read that this morning, actually. But that is absolutely true, is Jesus laid down his life as a sacrifice for us on the cross, and he did it of his own accord. That's what, you know, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down because I want to lay it down. I lay it down as a sacrifice uh, for those who love me. The third thing you see as you come, as you're moving into the, into the uh, getting closer, is the labor or the bronze basin. At, uh, and this is a, another eat, I think to me, you know, this is pretty low-hanging fruit. You know, it's not too hard to figure out what the, uh, what the New Testament version of this would be. Uh, this is where the priest had to come and wash, ceremonially wash and clean themselves before they could uh, go to the, to the, uh, to put a burnt offering in or before they could go into the holy of holy or to the holy place uh they had to be ceremonially cleaned and so uh i think pretty easy in john first john one and seven and nine uh but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin so the basin represents the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ for us now. Uh, it's what makes us acceptable to God. It's what makes us where we can fellowship with God because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So in the door, now the next thing you would do would be go in the door of the holy place which now only priests can come. No, no one uh, but a Levite priest can enter here. Uh, there are several duties that they have. One of the things that they do is they keep oil in the lamp perpetually where it burns all the time. Uh, on the table of showbread, there are 12 loaves of bread, two stacks of six, which... Uh, they stay there, which are, are uh, changed out. They're put new every week, once a week. And the Levites eat the bread after it's been there a week and before they put in new. And I thought, well, I don't know if that's really a big perk, uh, you know, for the week old bread. But, uh, but it does show... Uh, it, it shows the provision of, of God and the, and the constant provision of God because it's changed out every week. So let's look at the, at the, gold, the uh, lampstand, the menorah, and uh, see what we find there. If you look uh, at John 8, you would say, well, Jesus is the light of the world, and that certainly uh, 
because this is the only light that's in the entire tabernacle, uh, artificial light anyway. Uh, but I think really because this lamp was in a room that only the priest went into, no one else saw it. I don't know if, if really the light of the world fits right there. I think it's better. I think a better fit uh, for this is probably 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Uh, I think this light represents more of the light that we walk in as Christians because we are now priests. And so we have this light. First uh, uh, John 1 and 7, which we've actually already read uh, when we, because of the cleansing of the blood. But he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So, so uh, it's, the, uh, it's the light that the lamp unto our path, unto our feet. Uh, I think that's the light that is represented here by the by the uh, candle stand. Uh, the table of showbread, which I just talked about with the 12 loaves. And uh, certainly you can look at the provision. This is physical provision for the children of Israel, spiritual provision for us. Uh, John 6, 33 through 35. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The provision of God then and bread now and the bread of God that we would never hunger, that we would never thirst. The altar of incense. And this is kind of special to me, I think. I think it's something that we as a church, and I say the Western church, uh, the altar of incense is where prayers were offered up by the priests for the people. It's right next to the veil. It's the last thing that you do that the head priest, main head priest would do before he went into the Holy of Holies, which would only be once a year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. Uh, but the last thing that you do before you enter would be pray. And I think sometimes we give lip service to prayer. Uh, But I think that we need to be perpetually on our knees before God. And I think that's how you grow. That's how you turn over your life to God is when you are in constant communion, constant communication with him. Let's look at a couple of verses, several verses that, uh, that I think really says this. Let's look at Hebrews 7 and 25. 
Consequently, he is able to save the, <clears throat> to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intersection, intercession for him. This is Jesus constantly interceding, praying for us, and it's where we should be uh, praying for each other. Uh, Romans 8 and 34, along the same vein, who <clears throat> is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was, raised, <clears throat> who was raised, who was at the right hand of the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ is constantly interceding for us on a daily basis, day and night, even as the, the lampstand uh, and, and the incense were burned day and night. So we need to be at that place where we are praying day and night because we need it every, every moment of the day. And this is a, uh, there's all through the Bible you find incense connected with prayer. Uh, look at Revelation 5 and 8. This is John who is in, uh, he's seen his vision, he's having his vision of heaven. And it said, and when he had taken the scroll, talking about Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we know that our prayers ascend all the way right into the throne room of grace, right into the throne room of heaven. Uh, our, our, our prayers are like incense, they're like a sweet aroma in the, in the nostrils of God and and so it's, it's where we need to be as Christians and continually in prayer. And then, and then one other verse in, in uh, Psalms uh, 141 and 2. This is David. And he says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as, a, as, a, as the evening sacrifice. So we could go on. I could go on for a lot. There's, there's so much here. There's so many more parts. I mean, the, the doors and the linens and, and the colors of them and, and how, it, how it relates to all that. But I just want to kind of, kind of sum this up with, a, with a, uh, a scripture, actually, that we looked at not too long ago when we were in the book of Colossians. And it, it uh, but in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to the festival or new moon or the Sabbath. And here we are. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so the whole, just like uh, in uh, Lane said last week as he went around and, and finally ended up at that place where it's all about Jesus. And from Genesis, from in the beginning to come quickly from Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and our relationship to him. It's about Jesus and his lordship. It's about Jesus and his love. It's about Jesus. And, and you can't ever 
if you if you're in this book, you can't ever escape it anywhere you go because it, it it's uh, it's pointing to him one way or the other. All everywhere, every book, all the way through the Bible, uh, is about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have shown us these things, that that your uh, that your plan, Lord, for us, that your was was always in your heart, Lord, that was there from the very beginning. Lord, you have had us in your heart. And Lord, I just pray that we would turn ourselves over to you in every way, Lord, that we would look for Jesus in every scripture we read, Lord, that we would uh, grow up and, and, and uh, just be, Lord, that Christ, be that uh, priest, Lord, that you have called us to be, Lord, to, uh, to be a holy nation, Lord, to pray and praise you in everything that we do in every way, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Let's all stand again.